0: I had a perfectly good show set up. I had everything ready to go. The show notes are live at kpal965.com. Everything was set to go. Still a lot of national stuff to cover, but I did my due diligence. I, I haven't checked the Louisiana and the local newspapers in a while, so I went just to see what I could find. And I came across the story. I knew this was a story. I just hadn't read any of the write-ups about it. House Speaker Clay Scheck Snyder tells Farm Bureau he's running for Lieutenant Governor. This is a story posted to the Daily Advertiser uh, the other day. It was written by Greg Hilburn. There's one paragraph in here in particular. If you want to know the quality of Republican leadership in the state of Louisiana, it is best exemplified in this paragraph. Incumbent Republican Lieutenant Billy Nungesser is expected to run for governor in 2023. Sheck Snyder said he believes Nungesser has a quote excellent shot at what will hotly what will be a hotly contested race to replace Democratic Governor John Bell Edwards, who was term limited. Clay Sheck Snyder, the leader of the Republican Party in the House, the Speaker of the co- Republican-controlled House. Believes that Billy Nungesser, the current lieutenant governor, has a quote, excellent shot, end quote, in the race to replace John Bell Edwards next year. It is that kind of political mind that has led the Republican Party to where they are in the state legislature. Is it any wonder Republicans can't get any major victories out of the legislature? And don't tell me about a veto override of congressional maps. Because it was always going to end up where we were, no matter if the veto override was there or not. The Republicans in the House are led by somebody who believes that Billy Nungesser has a shot at being governor in 2023. Now, don't tell me that I'm not taking Billy Nungesser seriously. Don't tell me that. It's not the case. It will never be the case. Billy Nungesser has shown nothing in his time as lieutenant governor that makes him seem qualified to be governor. As someone who was a half-decent parish president, Billy Nungesser rose to fame by advocating for his parish in the wake of hurricanes. Billy Nungesser has done a, a, a good job of promoting the state of Louisiana and its tourism industry. Give him all the credit in the world for that. There is nothing, nothing at all that shows Billy Nungesser is going to be anywhere close to first place in a run for governor. None of the polling has shown that. All the polling that we've seen shows Jeff Landry with a major advantage, John Schroeder next, and Billy Nungesser a distant third. That's all the public polling. One poll shows that John Kennedy, if he were to jump in, which I don't think he will, but John Kennedy has a better shot than even Jeff Landry, but Jeff Landry is far and away the favorite as of right now. And yes, we're more than a year away from this being a serious race, but there is nothing that Billy Nungesser has or can do that will up his numbers between now and then. The only thing that can happen is Jeff Landry getting caught in some sort of sex scandal, which is not going to happen. Incumbent Republican Lieutenant Governor Billy Nungesser is expected to run for governor in 2023. Sheck Snyder said he believes Nungesser has a, quote, excellent shot, unquote, at what will be a hotly contested race to replace Democratic Governor John Bill Edwards, who is term limited. Now, I realize that the Republicans in the House didn't actually vote for Clay for Speaker. Clay had to use Democratic support in order to become Speaker. Yes, I get that. But at some point... At some point, Republicans needed to do a f- far harder pushback. And they needed to do a whole lot more to force Sheck Snyder to the right. News reports and leaks and quotes were not enough. This is the leader of the Republican Party in the House of Representatives. And he is out there saying that Billy Nungesser has an excellent shot to be governor of the state of Louisiana. That is the type of statement you make if you are completely ignorant about the state of Louisiana, its voters and the electoral politics of the state. And that is exactly what Clay Sheck Snyder has proven time and time again in the way he has handled the state legislature. uh, Sheck Snyder wants to run for lieutenant governor. We have a great lieutenant governor now, Sheck Snyder said of Dungesser. He's looking at another spot that's a little bit higher than where he is now. I think he has an excellent shot at it. If you can find it in your heart to at least think about me a little bit whenever that position becomes available and we're running, I would appreciate it. Clay Sheck Snyder, after a disastrous run at opposing John Bell Edwards, wants to be the lieutenant governor for the state of Louisiana. Unlike Billy Nungesser, he has shown absolutely no initiative whatsoever to be able to promote the state of Louisiana in the way that is necessary for somebody who is the head of the Department of Culture, Recreation and Tourism. Under no circumstances should any Republican in the state of Louisiana take Clay Sheck Snyder as a statewide candidate seriously. He has failed as a leader. He has failed even some of the basic qualifications of being a Republican. And does not deserve a statewide uh, office as a Republican. There are better choices. I don't know who they are. But. Smart money is there is somebody out there who will run, who will be a better spot, who will be a better candidate for lieutenant governor than Clay Sheck Snyder. Somebody who has shown no inkling of understanding of the state of Louisiana, its electoral politics, or indeed its people and culture. 232-1542, if you want to take part in the conversation. When we come back, I'm going back to the show notes. and I'm going to start where I wanted to start at the beginning, and that is with... The Democratic Party absolutely screwing themselves over time and time again in electoral politics. That and more here on The Joe Cunningham Show News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to The Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. The Democrats continue to drift further and further to the left, and it is starting to pose an electoral problem for the Democrats. I want to kind of break this down. This is, again, if you go to the show notes, uh, go to the section talking about uh, the Democrats drifting leftward, Um, the Democrats kind of uh, being their own worst enemy. There's two pieces I link to here, and I'm actually going to go uh, in reverse order here. I want to start with the New York Times. Early last year, as Democrats were preparing to control the White House and Congress for the first time in a decade, Josh Gottheimer met with Nancy Pelosi to discuss the party's message. Sitting in the Speaker's office in the U.S. Capitol, he opened up the YouTube app on his phone. There was something he wanted to show her. Gottheimer, who represents a wealthy suburban and exurban House district in northern New Jersey, was first elected to Congress in 2016, his victory over a seven-term Republican incumbent in a district in which Donald Trump narrowly defeated Hillary Clinton. It was one of the Democrats' few bright spots that year. Since his arrival in Washington, however, Gottheimer has been the cause of more headaches and celebrations for Pelosi and her leadership team. As co-chairman of the Problem Solvers Caucus, a group of 29 Democrats and 25, 29 Republicans that Quixoteley uh, aspires to the goal of bipartisan compromise, he has frequently found himself at odds with his fellow Democrats on everything from foreign policy to President Biden's domestic agenda to Pelosi's leadership. In 2018, Gottheimer and eight other problem-solver Democrats threatened to reject Pelosi's bid for Speaker if she didn't concede to their demands for rules changes that would make it easier for bipartisan ideas to be considered, angering colleagues who viewed it as yet another instance of Gottheimer and his group engaging in pointless grandstanding rather than constructive behind-the-scenes work. Tell me a problem they've solved, Representative Susan Wild, a Democrat from Pennsylvania, says. Pelosi, however, had agreed to their demands and secured their support. Now she was willing to hear Gottheimer out on how the new Democratic majority should position itself. He pressed, the, his, and he pressed play and his iPhone screen filled with waving American flags as an old but familiar voice emerged, proclaiming, I am honored to have been given the opportunity to stand up for the values and interests of ordinary Americans. The video was a television advertiser from Bill Clinton's 1996 re-election campaign. Over images of construction workers and children and police officers, a series of bold captions touted Clinton's first first term accomplishments. Welfare reform, work requirements, tax cuts for 15 million families, death penalty for drug kings, etc. In April, almost a year and a half later, Gottheimer screened the ad again, this time for the reporter of the story. He provided his own color commentary as it played. Fiscal responsibility, jobs, tax cuts. He put cops in the ad. Gottheimer, who served as White House speechwriter for Clinton's second term, exclaimed, when it was over, he sighed. Think about how different that message is. I asked him what Pelosi's reaction was when he played it for her. Gottheimer demurred, but the answer seemed obvious. The message that Pelosi and Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and President Joe Biden and the rest of the Democratic Party had chosen for their, uh, with their leadership The message that Democrats would be carrying in the 2022 midterms was not the one that Gottheimer and the disembodied voice of Bill Clinton had counseled. The Democrats are moving further and further to the left. The most immediate question for Gottheimer and other moderate Democrats, according to this New York Times piece, is whether there will be enough come November in those old values. With the Democrats clinging to a 10 seat majority in the House, almost guaranteed to drop to nine with a special election in Nebraska on June 20. Oh, Actually, that was yesterday. So this story was published uh, two days ago. Most political handicappers ex, uh, expect Republicans to reclaim control of the chamber easily. In fact, the Cook Political Report is still showing that Republicans are looking at a 25 to 30 seat gain in the House, putting them up over the Democrats by about 20 points. The base of the Democratic Party, the loudest part of the base is moving further and further to the left. It's being driven by educated whites, particularly educated, college-educated white women. The Democratic Party is shifting to the left, and they are not seeing any middle ground. They are not seeing any way to resolve the problems that they have with the the Republican Party. Now, I want to read this, and I'm sorry for reading so much in this segment, but it's important. This from center-left writer Josh Barrow. I wrote on Friday about the next steps after Dobbs, what Democrats can do to secure abortion rights without the Supreme Court doing it for them. Matt Iglesias has some useful additional thoughts, including benefits of conventional protests. I was also pleased to see Shannon Watts, founder of Moms Demand Action, second my own call, talking about this writer, for Democrats to strategically use ballot measures and initiated constitutional amendments to secure abortion rights at the state level. I noted that Democrats have had success with this tactic on issues where there's a gap between Republican lawmakers and the electorate that elected them, like minimum wage and Medicaid expansion. Watts notes it's been, way, it's been a way to enact certain gun control measures, too. But, this writer says... I was less than pleased to see House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's dear colleague letter from Monday in which she said the House will vote again on the Women's Health Protection Act, a bill to codify certain abortion rights that goes somewhat beyond where the Roe and Casey decisions did. The bill hits the notes that abortion rights nonprofit groups want hit, which seems to be the only thing that matters for Democrats in Congress these days. But it's sufficiently extreme that every single Republican in the House and Senate, even the ones with otherwise pro-choice voting records, felt comfortable voting against. What is voting on this again supposed to achieve? I guess it's supposed to end the message that Democrats favor a very expansive, or it's supposed to send the message that Democrats favor a very expansive vision of abortion rights, more expansive than was required by Casey, more more expansive than prevails across Europe, and more expansive than the median voter favors. On the issue of abortion, the Democrats want to take the extreme route. The Democrats want to push for abortion up until the child fully exits the birth canal, and some Democrats say even past that. Let's not kid ourselves. That is a position that some of them, although in the very vocal minority, do believe. This writer mentions that the majority of the electorate supports abortion rights. And yes, to an extent, most voters... Are comfortable with abortion uh, right with, with abortion being allowed within the first trimester, but after that support significantly drops. Most voters are vehemently against late term abortion. So why are the Democrats pushing for this? Why are they pushing again for this abortion bill? The Democrats are looking for electoral issues. They want to get their va- base motivated. It is now no longer about Winning over independence, it's about keeping that base that has drifted further and further left engaged. They know good and well that they're not going to be able to win. They're not going to be able to maintain their majority in the House and probably won't maintain their majority in the Senate. But they really, really, really want to keep their base motivated so they have at least the support of, you know, 35 to 40 percent of the electorate. But they're losing that. They're losing that. Their base is getting depressed. Their base is going to stay home. A huge part of their base, the black voters in America, are planning to stay home if what the polling we see now is any indication. The Democrats can moderate themselves on this issue and get some abortion restrictions passed, but they won't. Let's take our bottom of the hour news break. When we come back, more on this and also want to point out the fact that the EPA decision didn't come out today, but we have some more things to be looking at in Congress and in the Supreme Court. We'll talk about that and more here on the on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 if you want to join in the conversation. So while the Democrats are their own worst enemy in many regards here, I do want to point out that... Well, the issues they do think they, they can win on, like they 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 might be able to to motivate some voters on abortion. Not enough, I think. I I, I don't think they'll mo- motivate enough because you don't just have Democrats that are motivated on abortion. You also have Republicans who are motivated on the abortion issue, where they are steadily losing Americans left, right, and center. Is January sixth? So I need I want to go back to the uh, Cassidy Hutchinson hearing. I want to talk about that. Now, today at National Review, Andrew McCarthy, uh, who I respect as a writer greatly, um, he had the most coherent argument for why this was very serious for Donald Trump. And indeed, the accusations made by Cassie Hutchinson at yesterday's hearing are very serious. And they will be used to paint a particular picture of Donald Trump. The picture they want to paint of Donald Trump is that of a dangerous insurrectionist. In my opinion, what the picture she painted yesterday was the picture of a raving lunatic. If he's somebody who's willing to just jump forward and strangle Secret Service agents and and try to take the wheel of the presidential limo or SUV or whatever it was they're claiming, that's more lunatic behavior than it is insurrectionist or despot or whatever you want to call it. The problem is that in this bombshell hearing yesterday, it was, as I mentioned yesterday, legally hearsay. Now this isn't a court of law, so that doesn't matter. They're trying to paint a picture to convince, uh, to convince, uh, Merrick Garland, To indict Donald Trump, which, by the way, won't happen. The Democrats and Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger are trying to paint this particular picture. Since the testimony, though, two Secret Service agents have come out and have said this did not happen. And we will testify under oath on that. No Secret Service agents, according to the agency... Were assaulted by Donald Trump on the day of January sixth, as um, as the as uh, Cassidy Hutchinson claimed yesterday. Uh, then White House Counsel Tony Ornato has also come out and said he will testify under oath that he did not tell Cassidy Hutchinson what she claims he told her, and that was part that was the hearsay part of the testimony. Here's the problem for Democrats, what most people will see if it actually comes out that these facts are indeed wrong, that Cassie Hutchinson was lying or was not telling the truth at the very least. If all that comes out on even one statement she made, it throws out her entire testimony Testimony that the January 6th committee rushed out because they thought they had something. The January 6th committee had this very recent testimony and rushed it out. And then, as per usual, weaved in other accounts to support it. Cassidy is in trouble if the Secret Service agents and Tony Ornato testify under oath before the January 6th committee, because they will contradict her. And the Secret Service is under the employ of president Biden. It's not as though these are some Trump holders on who are coming to make this claim. If they are will, if they are able to make a public statement and say what they want to say they have the permission of the agency, which is under Donald Trump, which is under Joe Biden's command, and therefore, it's not like they're, tr- they're, they're self-serving here. They want to get the truth out there. Now, in the hearing, they made it sound like Donald Trump tried to lean forward and grab the steering wheel from the back seat. Originally, they made it sound like he was in what they call the beast," which is the presidential limo. But then they came out and said, no, 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 no. It was a Secret Service SUV, which the limo has a partition. It has a divider that prevents the people in the back seat from accessing the front seat. And actually, more importantly, keeps anyone in the front seat from reaching the back seat where the president is. That's why the partition is in there. You can seal off the president from anybody who happens to make it into the front seat. The SUVs, though, standard SUVs, have not historically had that partition. But the Secret Service has also come out and said that the SUV in question is one of the newer models that the the Secret Service has been using, which does have that partition. So there's no physical way for Donald Trump to be able to leap into the front seat and try to take the steering wheel and try to drive toward the protests. They're also seizing on to the claims that Donald Trump wanted to take... uh, wanted to take away the, uh, I forget what they're called, but the, the magnetized scanners that would detect, uh, detect anybody with a weapon on them as they were trying to enter the Capitol area. And that's a big threat. That there's all these people with all these weapons. They were entering the Capitol grounds, et cetera. There's a problem there too. Of all the indictments that we've seen so far from the January 6th riots, I think there's only one danger. There's only one weapons charge. So if all of these people had all these weapons, they were trying to get into the Capitol and trying to overthrow the government, you would think that more of those indictments would be there, but they're not. Hutchinson's testimony looks very weak and that's important. That is important to know. It is important to realize that the January 6th committee does not have a, a smoking gun. They do not have anything that still directly ties Donald Trump to an attempted insurrection. This goes back to what I was saying earlier. The Democrats are their own worst enemy here. They have rushed out this testimony without verifying, without bringing in any supporting evidence, really in order to paint a public picture of Donald Trump as this lunatic, who's trying to take over the government, try to hold on to power. They did not verify any of the testimony. And as a result, you now have the secret service itself coming out and contradicting what this so-called star witness said. The media has run with what uh, Hutchinson has said as the gospel truth. They are running and they are saying that Donald Trump, tried to strangle Secret Service agents, that he leaped into the front seat to try to drive the Secret Service vehicle, that he did want all these people with weapons to enter the Capitol. They are saying this as if it's gospel truth, and it is not. Donald Trump, still, you cannot prove, based on the information we have, that he tried to foment an insurrection of the U.S. government. His behavior wasn't great that day. His behavior wasn't great. But you cannot, based on the evidence we have, including yesterday's testimony, you cannot say definitively that he's guilty of something. Now, the Democrats want, they want... Merrick Garland, to take all this evidence and use it to file, uh, to, to indict Donald Trump. There's a problem with that. If you use the Attorney General's office to indict Donald Trump after he's left office on something that he did, you are opening up the Republicans to just as easily use the Attorney General's office immediately after Joe Biden leaves office and they take over to use the Attorney General's office to go after Hunter Biden. Some of you out there are shouting, well, they should, yes, but you typically don't do it. Once somebody is out of office, they get left alone. You may not like it, but precedent is they get left alone. They are now relegated to the history books. They are no longer an active part of their party. They are no longer an active part of politics. Someone, somewhere at the state level will file those lawsuits. But to use the attorney general's office to do so is just not done. But the Democrats will open themselves up. They will open the Biden family up to that very, very quickly if they use this committee's testimony. To indict Donald Trump now two years after he's left office. 232-1542. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, a couple other stories to touch on. Uh, and, of course, your calls if you'd like to call in here on The Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5. KPL. I have great news. We can now add another terribly unpopular name to the list of people who may try to replace Joe Biden in 2024. The Democrats, early on, would have liked Kamala Harris to be the one who steps in. Kamala Harris is not going to step in for Donald Trump. The Democrats considered, briefly, Pete Pete Buttigieg, but he's just as unpopular. And yesterday, CNN Online published a piece saying that there are Democrats who are looking uh, looking at Hillary Clinton thinking now is her time. Hip hip hooray! But there's been a slow trickle of media reports here lately that uh, I actually think is probably the Democrats' best shot, if we're being honest here. But that also is more of an insult to the Democrats than a fear for Republicans. And that is... Gavin Newsom. Gavin Newsom is clearly making a play to be the Democratic nominee in 2024. He is getting more national headlines. He's talking more on national issues. And in particular, he is going after Ron DeSantis. Now, my colleague at Red Stake, Banchi, uh, wrote this uh, after noting that Gavin Newsom was attacking Ron DeSantis. He He lays out the facts. The employment rate in Florida is currently just 3%. In California, unemployment comes in at 4.3% and above the national average. California also has the highest poverty level in the nation, with 18.2% of residents becoming impoverished over the last three decades. By comparison, Florida sits as an example of individual freedom, low taxes, and population growth, while California is losing more population per capita every year than any other state in the union. That alone is enough to show Newsom's failure. People vote with their feet in a republic, and they are casting their ballot for red states like Florida. And while high taxes and COVID regulations have been part of that exodus, exploding homelessness and violent crime are factors as well. California resides in a weird limbo where it has good economic growth because major corporations continue to prop up its budget. But as individual residents suffer greatly under the thumb of an overbearing and completely incompetent state government, Eventually, all the subsidies and are in and pretty beaches in the world aren't going to be enough to get people to stay there. That was Banchi at Red State. You should go check out that story. California is looking to enact a new gas tax. Seriously, seriously, at a time when gas is going to is set to top on a, on a national average, maybe six dollars a gallon by the end of the summer. California wants to increase its tax, its gas tax. And Gavin Newsom is sitting at the head of the California government. But he wants everybody to know that he is certainly ready and willing to take up the mantle of the Democratic Party should they need. Should they need new leadership? Now, things aren't looking good for Joe Biden's future as the leader of the party. After guaranteeing that president, Joe Biden will run for reelection in 2024, Vice President Kamala Harris appeared to walk back the statement on Wednesday, introducing some doubt as to whether the elderly president will attempt to remain in office. This is via National Review. The president intends to run, and if he does, I will be his ticket mate. We will run together, Harris told a reporter on Wednesday, allowing for the possibility that Biden will bow out after just one term in office. That response came after Harris gave an unequivocal response to the same topic just two days earlier. Joe Biden is running for re-election and I will be his ticket mate. Full stop. That is what Harris said Monday on CNN. So compare the two statements again. Monday, Joe Biden is running for re-election and I will be his ticket mate. Full stop. Today, the president intends to run. And if he does, I will be his ticket mate. We will run together. Subtle shift in language. But at that level of government, subtle shifts in language are practiced, they're rehearsed, and they are the talking point. The Democrats don't have a national bench. They don't. They don't really have much of a bench at the state level either. That's why they're so furious about the uh, the, the Dobbs decision, because in order to enact abortion uh, to, to allow abortion in the States, they have to win at the state level. And they have not been doing that more than half the States in the nation have partial or full Republican control that would prevent most of the abortion allowances Democrats want, but it's at the federal level. It's bad. Again, the cook political report, which is a nonpartisan, non, uh, it really doesn't have much. It has, sign up you can probably say it has a little bit of a leftward bias in it, it, looking at the polling and everything. It tends to give Democrats more credit than, norm, than than they deserve. So even keeping that in mind, they're showing the Republicans as picking up 25 to 30 seats. If the polling stays like it is right now, if the polling stays like that and the Democrats get 25 to 30 seats in the midterms, they end up with a roughly 20 seat majority in the house. They're also pretty confident that they as a party the Republicans will win back the Senate. All it takes is for the Democrats to net lose one. There are a couple of seats that Republicans may lose, but there are far more seats that the Democrats are set to lose. We're halfway through his first term and we're not even sure if Joe Biden is running for re-election. That is bad. The Democrats are struggling and they have no line of succession. They have no bench. All right, we've got time for a quick call. We've got Warren. Warren, how are you today?
1: Hey, Joe. You know, we got so many distractions going on. And I just heard that, that 4 million and, and could be as high as 8 million people from other nations, other nationalities that are military aged men that are coming in our country, you know, n- not to mention the people that are being exterminated with the fentanyl mm-hmm. and Moon Graffon asked the question today, what book of Revelation we're in? If you look in the book of Matthew, it said nation shall rise against nation. It talks about lawlessness. It talks about pestilence. But nation against nation, nationality against nationality. We got nations coming in our back door, and we already let a bunch from Afghanistan in our front door, all military-aged men. This is another Pearl Harbor taking place, and everybody's asleep. The sheep are being led to the slaughter.
0: Thank you very much for the call, Warren. We are having to wrap it up, but you're absolutely right. There is lawlessness. There is no border security whatsoever. If there was border security... You would not have had 51 illegal immigrants dead in the back of a trailer as they were being snuck across the border. You would not have a humanitarian crisis at our borders if there was any semblance of upholding the law where immigration is concerned or really in many different respects. But the Democrats do not care. They are focused on their own pet issues right now. And actually, right now, they're not even focused on those. They're just trying to play defense and try to keep it going. We're going to go ahead and take a 23-hour break for the Joe Cunningham Show. In the meantime, follow me on Twitter. You can uh, at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. Check out the podcast version of the Joe Cunningham Show online at Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcast. But do not lament, because I'll also be on in a few minutes with Shannon Wilkinson here on Offsides, right here on News Talk 96.5 KPL.